Luke 15, 11 through 32. Let's read. I didn't get much sleep last night, as you can tell. I'm a little wired. <laughs> oh, and you know what? Senility is going to be a very smooth transition for me, for your pastor. So just uh, know that. Very close. Very close. Jesus said, There's a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey to a far country, and there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has filled the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who just devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate me glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we ask this morning for your blessing upon your word. Your word is great. It is powerful. It is eternal. It is holy. It is effective for changing lives, Lord. Lord, believe that this morning. And yet help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I pray that you help us all be open to what your word has to say this morning. Father, by your spirit, give me words to say as well that would penetrate hearts, Lord, that you might be glorified and we might be closer to you. Lord, help us not walk away from here or sit through here this time, Lord, just focus on anything other than what you have to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. Well, there are two approaches to God in this story. I mentioned this last week. 
that are indicative of kind of bigger approaches to life. And that is this, that the, it's an approach, it is a seeking of something. That is a seeking of pleasure. All of us in life seek pleasure. And in general, there's two approaches to how we get happiness, pleasure, whatever you want to call it. In this story, the younger son and the older son actually seek the same pleasure. Might be surprising, right? It's just easier to see with the younger son, right? The younger son, he seeks the blessings and the pleasures of the father through what the father could give, right? Father's authority, the father's goods, rather than the father himself. He doesn't seek the father himself. He makes this audacious power play, right? You know, cuts right to the heart of the matter, asks for the money, and skips town. For the son, younger son, he gets by going, right? He goes the way of self-discovery. I'm going to go find myself. I'm going to go take the money, spend it on myself, see what I can make of my life. The older son also seeks the blessings and the pleasures the father could give. Of course, the older son would never call it pleasures. He would call it blessings because using the word pleasures was far too scandalous, right? The older son shows that he's seeking these pleasures only the father could give. When, these secret, when the secrets of the heart, secrets of his heart, come out, right? And secrets of the heart tend to come out, right, when jealousy is involved. Right? Have you ever been around someone you're jealous? Ever, you kind of take a look at yourself when you're jealous of someone? Like, generally, it's, it's, it's more obvious than we even think. It's true with the son as well, right? He says, what's his response? To his father, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What's really in the older son's heart? Food <laughs> and pleasure, celebrating with his friends. What the father has and how he can get pleasure from being with the father. Just that the older son's been seeking it out through different means, moral conformity. Right? Doing what's best for the community and for God. That's the idea. So we call this, I call this getting by giving. He gives of himself, but in order to get the things the Father has. Both seek to enjoy what the Father has instead of seeking to enjoy the Father himself. They just do it in different ways. Last week, we focused on the younger brother, getting by going. Even more so, we focused on the running father. called it the, the parable of the running father. The running father whose love reached across even theological lines of right repentance. But changes people to full repentance when they're in his presence. If you have no idea what that means, just go listen last week. It's online. <laughs> you can see it. This week we get to Act 2. Right? Act 2 of this parable. The elder brother. Getting by giving. 
So, I'm excited. We're going to go on this journey together here through God's Word this morning. And it is quite a journey. It's, a, it's even a journey that uh, <laughs> we work a long Thursday and even late into the night last night. And I'm excited about what God has to say. But not easy talking about the elder brother. Well, I want to first talk, though, about his, his predicament. The great predicament of the elder brother. And it is a predicament, he's in. We know the predicament of the younger brother, right? He wasted his and his father's life. He needs money. He's flat broke. He eats food. And after a long journey with harlots, you know, uh, getting in the mud with, with pigs and unemployment, uh, he probably needs just a good general hosing down, right? Uh, and, you know, just shh, bring out the fire hose. This guy needs a new start. We know he's down and out. And I know in my life I relate to the younger brother. But the predicament of the elder brother is less clear. Because the elder brother has a better counterfeit. He's got a better counterfeit for his life. Let me explain. The elder brother tries to get his kicks from following the father's commands. All right, which is not bad, eh? Right? For elder brothers, for other elder brothers, making God's commands, their aim in life, sounds really good and sounds very noble. But herein lies the predicament, elder brother. Now let's face it, first of all, dads and moms, if, our, if, you're, if our child comes up to us and says, I've got two kids, you know, I want to be blessed by Jesus, Right? Daddy and mommy, so I'm going to follow all of his commands. Yeah, I, we, what would happen? Honestly, we'd, we'd burst a pipe. We'd be so excited. We'd be like, what? Yes! Yes! This is great! Right? That's our typical response. Something in us would just burst. You choose vein, blood vessel. I don't know. We'd be excited about this. But herein lies the predicament for the elder brothers. The blessings sought and the goal that results is really, a really, really, really good counterfeit. And yet, it makes it harder because so many elder brothers seem to get close to achieving that goal, following all of Jesus' commands. An elder brother's predicament is this, that his or her sin is better camouflaged, right? And thus, so is his or her need for Jesus. I meant to have camouflage up there, but it wouldn't have shown up, so just pretend. <laughs> Compared with the younger brother, the elder brother's predicament is much more dangerous. You guys see Why? Because he can't see it. Right? Spouses brag about elder brothers. Fathers speak highly about elder brothers. Even pastors publicly thank elder brothers. Oftentimes. C.S. Lewis was fond of, uh, often fond of saying that our nostrils our nostrils must be continually attuned to the inner cesspool. <laughs> it's a hard thing to be said. The idea being that our hearts are naturally going to tend towards sin. We've talked about this before. 
But an elder brother thinks, no, it smells more like an inner rose garden in here, right? And I'm doing an okay job taking care of the place. Ask anyone, right? He is so close. And his aim in life, the blessings of God, is achieved by something so close, right? Following the commands of God versus God coming in the flesh, obeying all the commands, and living the life that we need to live. It's so close. We're following the commands of God or God accomplishing the commands. Sounds pretty similar, right? It sounds similar. It's like, you know, Australian rules, fo- uh, Australian rules football and rugby, right? I can't tell the difference. They're like the same thing. I don't know. Someone explain it to me later. Uh, I'm sure someone will. But uh, it, they're, they're so similar. And that is the predicament for any elder brother. And I don't want us to miss this. I know I'm harping on it. But I really want us to see how dangerous it is to approach God like an elder brother. Do you remember the movie, The Truman Show? Remember this movie? All right, the the idea for this movie is a a production company legally adopts a baby boy for what else? So that millions can watch him on television, right? Uh, It's just really, it might happen one day. Probably a prophecy. And so what they do is they build for him a place to live. A giant dome within which is this kind of small seaside town. And is a fake father, a fake mother, a fake best friend, a fake wife, right? They're all actors. And it's not until, well, first of all, and so the building blocks of his life, right? His relationships, his career, his conversations appear ordinarily real. Very ordinarily real. It's not until his mid to late 30s that he realizes it's all a farce. Most of us have signs in our lives that we're living a lie. Right? A fib, a fib we tell comes back to bite us in the rump. Right? A relationship because of a lie, you know, drifts away slowly or explodes in our face, (laughs) the other extreme. Right? We have these things that happen. To the extreme, an extreme would be, you know, we have to reckon with the law of the land if living a lie gone goes really badly. These signs are a blessing, right? They wake us up to reality, right? In a way, it hurts. We don't like it, but you you look back and you're thankful. I'm glad someone called me out on that. Or I'm glad that happened. I was living a lie. But the closer, closer a counterfeit life seems to be real, the harder it is to ever notice it's actually just a really good counterfeit. And like Truman, an elder brother's life is so close to being real, the real thing that God wants for us that we may never notice or notice it too late. To elder brothers who've lived a pretty good life, helped others in need, kind to strangers, you always listen to your pastor. That's a good note. Those sorts of things, right? And you think by doing so, God will reward you. For us, for you, 
Jesus might be many things. Your king, your lord, your boss, your moral example, but he's not your savior. You get that? And where do you where do we find these people? Where do we find elder brothers? Where do we find them? Well, elder brothers are the ones who set their alarm clocks for Sunday morning, right? Find them here. When myself do. <laughs> find them here in churches. So it's very relevant for us, or for many of us. I'm not saying everyone has this mentality. I don't think that's true. For some of us here, this really applies. How then can you tell if you're a younger brother or an elder brother? How can you tell if you're an elder brother? Well, it's an important question. And when I started studying and meditating on this question and, and, and looking into it and writing some things down, it drove me. I mean, I was compelled to just take a walk. I mean, it was like one minute, I'm writing some stuff down about the sermon. Next minute, I'm on the street walking. I, I, think, I, I think I may have levitated there. I don't know how I got there. I was just like... Ever had that feeling like, whoa, I'm here. I was just driven to go ask myself this question. And here's the, and of course, I walked up and down our street and uh, head down because I found out the hard way uh, that the edge of our yard and the adjacent field is a, uh, a, become a favorite defecation spot for uh, dogs and their non-pooping, scooping owners. All right, uh, and I don't mind saying that publicly here. In fact, I'm going to sound the bell this morning. On that. <laughs> I'm sure like three of my neighbors are somehow here this morning. But anyhow, um, but, but I was walking along and I resisted applying this question to my life. How can I tell if I'm an older brother? I resisted. I was surprised how much, how strongly... I tried to think about other things instead of this question. That might be happening to you right now. You're thinking, well, I'm really trying to think of other things besides this sermon. I was surprised how much I just, I just don't want to think about this question. Am I an elder brother? Considering this question might be humbling for many of us. But I'm not going to have you say this out loud. I'm not going to have you after the sermon, talk about it with your neighbor. I'm not going to have you write on a little piece of paper and then throw it into a campfire later and watch it burn. This sort of thing. I just ask that you first take this small step of humility by taking that walk with me. Taking the same walk with me this morning. Alright, would you do that? If you would, we're going to look at three signs. Three signs you might be an elder brother. There are more signs. We, I, I saw three in this passage. The first one is this, grace in theory, anger in reality. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. By grace, I mean God's love. He loves us so much and he makes that love active through an unconditional and undeserved gift. That's what grace is. He shows that in many ways, but supremely through Jesus Christ who is the ultimate, unconditional, undeserved gift that we might have everlasting life. One can sing of grace, right? 
You can read a book about it. You can do a word study on it. But when it comes to being confronted with real-life situations where grace is applied, especially that unconditional and undeserved part of it, that's what's hard for elder brothers. It's the unconditional, undeserved part of grace. When we're confronted with grace in real life, the deep-seated bitterness arises sometimes. Grace remains in your head, but anger take, has taken root in your heart. Unconditional? Completely? Undeserved? What causes a person to be angry? I've always loved uh, Henry Nouwen, author Henry Nouwen's definition of anger, that, or his understanding of anger, that anger arises when one feels like he or she has been deprived of something. It happens when you feel like you're deprived of something. That might be uh, respect you need to be given, love. Um, you know, those three hours you want to watch a football game. Either football's fine. And those things, you can angry. ask yourself that sometimes when, you, when anger arises in your heart. What am I being deprived of right now? The elder son here is being deprived of a celebration that should be his. A calf that should have been his trophy, and most likely his inheritance. More on that later. What does this look like in God's family? Forgiveness without restoration. A, forgiveness without restoration. Forgiving someone, but waiting until they earn the right in your eyes to be fully restored. Right? Okay, I forgive you, but let's see what happens over the next three months. Right? Ever done that? B, time and effort. Younger brothers, prodigal sons and daughters need patient instruction, sound discipleship on the basis of faith, tender love for self-inflicted wounds endured on the, on the prodigal path. Right? Time. Effort. But what about me? Right? Don't I deserve the pastor's time? Shouldn't the sermons be more directed towards me? Shouldn't more attention be geared towards me, my family, my people, my peeps? Jesus called his disciples fishers of men. Secretly angry brothers are slow to pick up the fishing pole but quick to ask, where's my fish? And this anger, what it does is it distances people, right? Slowly distances elder brothers. Tragically, tragically the younger brother, formerly the outsiders, received back safe and sound, right? As an insider. But the elder brother's anger makes him an outsider and slowly distances himself from the family. So number one, grace and theory, anger and reality. A second sign, you might be an elder brother. The father has become more burdened than joy. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. Or the word there is duleo, slaved for you. I've been a slave for you, man. 
And this is a great irony, right? Huge irony. The son, who's now an insider, was essentially doing menial labor with unclean, unkosher animals. Right? We're told earlier, the, 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 these pigs. And he also formulated a plan, the linchpin of which he was going to be like one of his father's hired servants, we read in verse 19. This would have been, we know, a day laborer who worked for minimum wage on a day-to-day basis. And no security, no job security, worked on a day-to-day basis. This is what the younger son has faced and thinks he will face. But the older, elder son, who never experienced this kind of hardship, certainly never worked a day like a slave, now claims to have slaved all these years. But he is right about one thing. He is a slave. Not to the father. But to legalism. To its evil shadow. The evil shadow to earning the father's blessings. A slave to the father would have been great joy. But a slave to its evil shadow of legalism is a huge burden. It's a great burden. I want to take an aside here for a moment. So I'm going to move to the side. I want to visually help you see that. Legalism is not someone following Jesus' commands to the letter of the law. Right, we often think that, oh, he's following, you obviously got to follow Jesus' commands, this, that, this, that, this, that. You're a legalist. That is not legalism. My guess here, if as I got up here and said, don't use filthy language, don't have sex before you're married, don't get drunk, tithe, obey your church leaders, husbands love wives, wives submit to husbands, uh, never stop praying and thanking God. You might accuse me of legalism. <laughs> this church is so legalistic. Right? Even though I quoted uh, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 13, Ephesians 5, sorry, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 13, Ephesians 5, Galatians 6, Hebrews 13, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, you might accuse me of legalism even still. Here's the key. If our motivation for obeying commands is to gain favor with God, if our motivation to obey these things is to gain favor with God, it's legalism. If your motive for obeying is that God has so loved you through Jesus, God has so loved you through Jesus Christ that you want to respond by obeying. He so loved you, so you want to respond by obeying. Well, that's just Christianity, baby. Legalism says faith in Christ is good, but not good enough. Let me, let me put it in, a, in, a, in an equation. All right? For our many accountants out there, I love you guys. Oops, go to the next slide. Here's the equation. Normally, this is the real Christian life. Christian, you put your faith in God or trust in Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and forgives you for sin. You have God's favor upon you. You're saved from sin. You have eternal life. You're part of God's family. Let me show you another equation. Put the next one up. This is the idea that being a Christian is faith in God plus something else means you have God's favor. Which one's real Christianity? The top one. The second one I mentioned is just legalism. Dressing up really nice 
not drinking, speaking in tongues, being part of a particular political party, that makes you a real Christian. That plus faith makes you a real Christian. No one ever really says that. Have you ever got that feeling being around someone? Like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, you're a Christian. That's great. Well, um, I saw a beer in your fridge. <laughs> what? My gosh. It's especially the case with those issues. But even with obeying Jesus' commands, faith in Christ, uh, I've never seen you tithe. Are you a Christian? If you've put your trust in Christ, you're a Christian. Now, we are called to tithe or whatever because we're responding to his great love for us out of our faith in him, right? And that he loves us and he died on the cross for us. He's given us everlasting life and took on the punishment we deserve. We want to respond by obeying. That is genuine Christianity. Under the slavery to legalism, the we get to is replaced by we ought to or we have to. Service of the church becomes about what you do and what others aren't doing in comparison. So that's legalism. You got a little theological definition there. Third thing, third sign that you might be an elder brother. Being a good and decent person has become your standard. The elder brother says, I never disobeyed your command. Verse 29. An elder brother, in a sense, is estranged from the father not in spite of his goodness, but in a sense because of it. It's like an A student, right? Happy, content with the A, maybe even a little smug, right? But surely no one would expect me to get an A+. This is good. Except in the spiritual life, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He told his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. You have no part in the kingdom of God. Wow. These were like the, this was like the par excellence. Right? These are the Harvard students of the day. These were guys who filled it to every letter of the law. But Jesus' point wasn't, oh yeah, you're going to be able to do that. His point was, the standards are high and you need me. Because the standards of elder brothers is how they're doing compared with everyone else. Compared with everyone else. Doing well. Fortunately, God is holy and doesn't grave on a curve. So my question is, where are you with all this? Hopefully you've asked these questions in your heart as we've gone along. I hope some of this has hit you hard for your own sake. But I do want to soften the blow a little bit. That there's still something about the elder brother that does feel right. Right? We're, we're sympathetic with him. At the beginning of chapter 15, this chapter we've been looking at the last few weeks, we're told that Jesus tells not one but three parables, right? Tells not one but three parables to religious people who are complaining about Jesus relating with sinners. Religious people are complaining, Jesus relating with all these sinners. So he tells these three parables. Tells one about lost sheep, and a shepherd goes after a lost sheep. He tells one about a lost coin. A woman pursues, looks everywhere for this lost coin. And he tells one about the lost son. 
And there's something radically different about this third one, isn't there? There's something really different about the third story. What is it? No one goes and searches for the lost son. You notice that when reading this? Lost sheep, shepherd looks everywhere. Goes, we're told in the coin, the woman sweeps, looks in every corner of her house. But no one goes out for the lost son. Something is lost in each story. But only in this third one does no one go out and search everywhere. I think this is because Jesus is inviting us to ask the question, well, who should have gone out and searched for this lost son? Jesus knew the Bible through and through. And he was certainly was aware at the beginning of it, it speaks of another story of an elder brother and a younger brother, Cain and Abel. In that story, God tells of a resentful and proud elder brother, and he says, you are your brother's keeper. Uh, author and theologian Edmund Clowney recalls the story of a young man who was a U.S. soldier missing in action during the Vietnam War. When his family got no word of him through any official channel, this elder son flew to Vietnam and risking his life, searched the jungles and the fields for his lost brother. And word has it that it said that despite his, the danger, the grave danger, that he was never hurt because both sides in the war had heard the story, his dedication, and respected his quest. Many even called him simply the brother. In this parable, the elder brother would have been the obvious choice to go and search for his foolish younger brother. But he would have had to do so at his expense. Remember, do you remember this? The father has already divided the property. The property's divided. The money's gone. The only one left with it is the elder brother. Every last nickel belonged to him. Over the years reading this story, many have drawn the conclusion that the story is all about mercy. Drawn the conclusion that forgiveness and love should be shown unconditionally and free. But forgiveness is never free, is it? Intrinsically, it's always free to the person who receives it. That's the idea of forgiveness. But it's never free for the person who gives it. It always costs us something. The father couldn't just forgive his younger son. Someone had to pay. But Jesus does not put a true elder brother in this story, one willing to pay any cost to seek and save that which was lost. There's something we respect about this elder brother, though. It's that right living, right? That sense of justice. He lives justly, but it's flawed, right? His life's flawed without mercy. By putting a flawed elder brother in this story, Jesus is inviting us to imagine and really long for a true elder brother. Jesus stripped himself of every divine quality to become one of us. 
Jesus is trying to show elder brothers, Pharisees, and many of us, that he is our true elder brother. Jesus is our elder brother. You get that? He stripped himself of every divine quality to come to be like one of us. But he lived a totally righteous life so that he alone could pay for radical mercy and forgive sin. He lived the just life so that he could forgive and show mercy. He could pay for it. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore Christ had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he could live the life we failed to live in order to die a death that we deserve to die. Jesus, true elder brother. And you see the other side of he loves the Pharisees. He's trying to say, look at your heart. Elder brothers, look at your heart. I'm the one you're looking for. Friends, let's leave us with one question. I'm an elder brother. What do I do from here? First, we've got to remember why you became an elder brother in the first place. What's the attractiveness of going down the road of an elder brother? It's this, to fashion a God of our own making. Specifically, what I like to call the vending machine God, right? The vending machine God, there he is. The idea that I put money into this vending machine, right? That's what I like about vending machines. You put money into it, and you make a choice, A, 34, sometimes you've got to kick it. Then <laughs> it comes out. Elder brothers, we've grown up relating to God this way. If I do X, Y, Z, God will dispense PDQ in my life. Right? At least we expect him to. Which is often why us elder brothers are left bitter and disappointed. You're in control. You know exactly what to expect and what should be expected. So then how do you, now knowing that Jesus is your true elder brother, that you are in need of him, how do you trust a God who is not of your own making and has total control to dispense how he pleases? First you recognize he's the only one who's lived out the X, Y, Z so that he could pay to give you not PDQ, but his very self. And that's the amazing thing about the good news of Jesus, the gospel. The gospel, as Pastor John Piper says, fond of saying, the gospel is God. God is the gospel. Jesus paid so that our greatest pleasure aren't things or blessings. Or things. Our greatest pleasure is God himself. The irony is many of us come to Jesus to get blessings and all that other kind of stuff, but totally whiff on this, the greatest blessing. God. If you've missed this in your life, your life of control, and you're moving to a life of trusting another, first, sometimes I think you just need to hear someone else say, give yourself permission to start over. Wipe the slate clean. I would encourage you over the next 30 days, read the Gospel of Luke. Read this Gospel we've been going through. Take a pen and a notepad a journal, whatever it is, and jot down observations of Jesus, of how Jesus shows himself and the Father to be worthy of your trust. How in this instance does he show the Father to be worthy of my trust? Either through his righteousness, 
his justice, or his tender mercy. Jesus demonstrated he's our true elder brother by living out righteousness to show us mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I think it's right this morning that we pray that very last part of your high priestly prayer in John 17, where you are last moments with your disciples and you're praying to the Father and you say this, you say to the Father, I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me might be in them, that I myself, that I myself might be in them. Something interesting there, Jesus. You said, I have made you known to them. For many of us, for elder brothers, we've known the Father before. We've got a glimpse of that grace in our lives before, but it's only a shell in our lives. But that's why Jesus prays, not only will I make you, the Father, known to them, I will continue to make you known to them. Jesus, I pray to you, we pray to you, that you would not only make yourself, make the Father known to us once, but again and again and again, that he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of being in control of our lives and wants to show us all good things, mostly wants to bring us to himself. Jesus, I pray for elder brothers that the pleasure of our life, the delight of our lives will no longer be the focus on things and achieving them simply by obeying, but the pleasure and delight of our lives would be you, Lord. We ask this all in your name. Amen.